Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 138. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. On this week's show is Brock Berry. And Brock is the founder, one of the co-founders, and CEO of AdCelerant. He was brought to me by Daryl Proctor, who has given me just a slate of wonderful guests on this show. I mean, between Brad Swartzwelter, where we talked about trains and maglev trains and the future of high-speed rail, to Scott Yates, founder of Blogmut, a serial entrepreneur, and now Brock Berry. So thank you, Daryl Proctor, right up front for getting me connected with Brock, because this week's conversation is terrific. And it went in a little bit more philosophical a direction than I was expecting. But that's probably not surprising, given that Brock... And I seem to be about the same age. We have a similar view of the world. We're in, I call it, complementary sort of vocations here. And we end up talking about the past, present, and future of advertising, of media, where things are going, the changing philosophies of young people, where our generation, I and I point this out in the episode, but I sort of straddle the line between millennials and Generation X. And one of the implications of that is that we had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. And so some of the things that we get into in this episode, like how much companies actually know about what you do, about how they can track nearly your every movement, both online and in the real world, thanks to the unique ID of your phone, is sort of unnerving if you grew up in an analog world. Now, if you didn't grow up in an analog world doesn't bother you in the least. It's just sort of the way the world is and always has been as far as you're concerned. Well, I can tell you it has not always been that way. And we end up talking about it. We also talk about our philosophies on business, on competition, on the realities of small business ownership. We also talk about the lawsuit going on between the folks who were formerly in charge of digital marketing for the Denver Post and the Denver Post. They are currently part of an ongoing sort of uh, court battle where the Denver Post alleges that they stole their business model, they stole some clients, etc. Well, Brock comes out of that world. So we end up talking about how to do that ethically, how to maintain your reputation. And I'm not saying that the folks who are on trial right now against the Denver Post, I'm not saying they're innocent or guilty. But what's interesting to me is how do you avoid that question altogether? And Brock has a really good answer. He's just a super nice dude, uh, very savvy, and he was a joy to talk to. This episode, I don't normally put a lantern on this, but was a dream to edit because Brock's articulate, he's eloquent, he speaks very clearly. Uh, I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. It flies by, and it's just a lot of fun to listen to. Super great dude. Now, before we get to this week's episode with Brock Berry, I'd like to tell you about the Real Nerds podcast. They're good friends of mine, uh, Brad has been a huge supporter of this show. He is one of the real nerds. And he, along with Ryan and James, put together a show every week. If you're a movie lover, if you're a movie buff, if you love sort of uh, friendly and pointed banter between the hosts, this show is fantastic. I've personally been a guest on there. I think I was talking about Expendables 3. They've been on my show. 
And you know what? Here's a few words from Brad, Ryan, and James about the Real Nerds Podcast. Every week, Denver's own Real Nerds Podcast sees a new movie, and we podcast our experience to the world. I think sometimes we're funny. Yeah, sometimes. When I'm talking, not when you're talking, not when you're talking. Oh, you know, it might help if you told them that we're on iTunes or we're on Stitcher, so they could find a place where they can actually listen to us. Oh, okay, Brad. We're also on Twitter, at Real Nerds, and we have an Instagram account. Boom. Commercial, Brad. Cut. Paste. Upload. We like to have fun. Sure. I like fun. James, you're very bad at improv. RealNerdsPodcast.com. Be sure to check them out. Good friends of the show, always happy to point you in their direction. Now, this week's show, number 138, is Brock Berry. He is the co-founder and CEO of AdCellerant. You can learn more about AdCellerant. Go to the John of All Trades podcast homepage. That's J-O-N of all trades dot U-S. There will be links to everything you need to know about AdCellerant. But the best place to get started is by hearing it right from Brock's mouth. Episode number 138 is Brock Berry. Starts right now. I feel like for me, my advantage is I've had to do so much public speaking right. that to do it, to just have a conversation with a microphone to me is not a big deal because it's way harder to stamp in front of a hundred people mm. and explain something that they don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, cause so, I mean, you yeah. could, you could say almost anything. It, it, tr- totally. <laughs> totally. But, or if you don't say it correctly, you leave without any benefit. They leave going, right. what was he talking about? Right. How are they doing that? Yeah. yeah. So if you guys aren't doing the creative side, give me a snapshot of what ad Celerant is, what it does. And what sets you guys apart? So AdSellerin is a advertising and technology company. We're focused on bringing, making quality digital marketing available to small business owners. Oh, cool. All right. So our primary objective is to bring the same types of advertising that an AT&T and Verizon mm. and Costco and Walmart get to use to bring in customers very rapidly, but bring it to the vacuum shop and the dry cleaner nice. and the little guys. Because the fact is, is that for the most part, people aren't willing to focus on them because it's very difficult to scale. It's hard to grow. It's hard to support. They usually have very small budgets. They have small budgets. So your time invested versus your return on that investment is much smaller. So that's kind of our business model. We want to be able to support all those different companies providing the best in class digital advertising. The thing that's amazing to me and having come out of oil and gas is when you think of the oil and gas industry, you know, you probably picture your what shell Exxon Conoco, but there are a zillion tiny little firms finding niches. Um, and you know, granted the, the economy of scale is much different sure, because you're not going to have like a $600,000 a year oil company, right? It's going to, you know, they're going to be like 10 or $15 million. But when competing against companies that are revenue of hundreds of billions of dollars, that's a tiny company. Yeah. And so what you're referring to is, you know, if, if you're a vacuum shop and you're, you're pulling in what, 150,000 a year, maybe, or even a million dollars a year. Right. And a lot of these are, if you think about it, there are 27 million, uh, SMBs in the United States, SMBs, small to medium sized businesses. Yeah. And 24 million of those spend between $50 and $5,000 a month. Okay. So those $50 type, SMBs are probably business owners that might be a few hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. Yeah. Uh, while the people spending five thousand dollars are in the millions. 
But it is all mm-hmm. relative. Like each dollar, no matter if their revenue is a million or a hundred thousand dollars, it's every dollar means everything to them because that's a dollar yeah. they didn't pay themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No. That's I, that. That goes into essentially, for lack of a better term, overhead for them. Yep. And yeah, I mean that's straight out of a small business owner's pocket. And I know from I was doing a campaign in one of the Denver suburbs, and I'm talking to small businesses, and a lot of times. It's like one guy who's there all day, every day. Oh, yeah. And that's amazing to me. These people are, they're like living a dream, but it's almost a dream that is built on nothing but hard labor. Oh, yeah. And the fact that you've managed to provide a service for them is a story that's really compelling to me because it's not something you hear about. It's 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 a vital service, but it's one that doesn't get a lot of glamour. Is that fair to characterize it that way? I think that's absolutely true. It's when they think about the small to medium sized business owner, it's not a glamorous life that they have. I mean, a lot of their friends probably think it's glamorous. They own their own business. And they oh, do you that. work for yourself. You, you work, set your own hours. So cool. Man, I wish I could do that too. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have a boss. If you sit down with that person, you, you, they would tell you, you're not, you might want to question yourself before you really get into this. <laughs> The average business owner spends, works 50 hours a week and they work more often than not six days a week. Yeah. So the average person works 40 hours a week and five days a week. Mm-hmm. So they don't realize that, yeah, it's, it's, you don't have a boss, but you're your own boss and it's tough. What's funny too is it's, I mean, this is such a cliche and it's one thing I've learned because I started out on the client side. Uh, or I'm sorry, on the agency side. Okay. And I'd look at clients and I'd be like, what are they doing all day? Like what, why is it taking so long for them to make a decision on this ad copy? Yep. And I'm like, I can't wait till I can go work client side and I can hire my own agency and you know, I, like, I'll know how to do that. And what was true was I knew how to work with an agency really well. And so I knew how to ask them for exactly what I needed. Sure. But they'd ask me, they're like, what the hell is taking so long? <laughs> and I go, Oh, right. Now I get it. And it's not that the grass is greener. It's that the grass is pretty much the same color wherever you go, uh-huh. but it's just not your grass. And that's therefore right. it's appealing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's too weird. And I think when you're on that agency side, and we, we suffer from this too, because we're, we're basically on the agency side, if you will. Mm-hmm. The business owners that we're working with, they have an infinite amount of responsibilities. So we want so them many to appro- priorities. So many priorities. We want them to approve that campaign or that creative. They're also going, yeah, I need to deal with an HR issue, and I need to get all the product per- purchase and deal with scheduling and pay- right. payroll and you know whatever. And then we're we're clamoring for what for a basic ad copy approval, right. and they're going, listen, I have better things to do right now. Just hang on. Yeah, it's like. I have 200 things that need to happen in order. You're number 197, mm-hmm. and I'm on number 35. Exactly. And I, I think that's one of the underappreciated aspects is when when you are a small business owner, you're not only HR, you're not only the CEO, you're not only product development, you're also government relations, you're also a lot of times your own accountant. It's remarkable, and my hat is off to anyone willing to take that leap because my business, I have very little overhead. It's nice. But sitting here with Brock Berry, you are the CEO of AdCellerant. How long have you guys been around? Three and a half years. We started November of 2013. Okay. And what were you doing before that? Before that, 
And I started this company with John Chamberlain, who's a co-founder, and Shelby Carlson, who's my wife and co-founder. Nice. They all three of us worked at a company called Digital First Media. They own locally here in Denver, Colorado, the Denver Post, as an example, mm -hmm. and a bunch of other newspapers. So we were working for a newspaper media company running a digital advertising company within that that larger corporate structure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Given your time there, how has AdCelerant differentiated itself from that type of environment? And what did you learn there that led to you wanting to form this? It's interesting that you'd ask that because it was really the reason we left ultimately. Uh, at Digital First Media, we ran a business similar to this in terms of providing services and executing digital marketing campaigns for small business owners, but we weren't really reinvesting in the product. So as a company, all we were really doing is we would pay for software licenses to be able to access certain types of digital advertising, mm -hmm. and we would leverage those licenses or applications to be able to run campaigns on behalf of the small business owner. Right. And as we did that, we ramped that company from really the f a few of us that started it to 56 team members running $75 million a year worth of local advertising, Jeez. just digital advertising. Yeah. And the entire time, we never really built anything that was proprietary to that business. Okay. And we saw kind of all these other companies emerging and doing some really innovative things and just investing in reinvesting profits into the product. And as we, as we sat back, we kind of realized this business is successful, but because we haven't done that, it's going to eventually get trampled on. Mm. So that's when we decided to leave and we started AdCelerant. So the big differentiators for AdCelerant is probably our platform. We call it UI.marketing. And UI.marketing is a software application platform that kind of lets the marketer build a recommendation for or a plan or a campaign for their their digital advertising budget. Wow. And it does it essentially in real time in the matter of minutes. And that's kind of a key feature of it. I'll I'll give you just a quick summary of what it is. The today that business owner we were talking about they're doing all those different tasks. Well, they're probably not a programmatic advertising expert on top <laughs> of being an HR expert and an accountant and everything else. So we built this engine to build those recommendations for them so they didn't have to be the expert. So it tells them what to do. And then with a matter of a few clicks, they can submit that order. It automatically flights everything and ties out all the reporting in the same UI. Wow. So now instead of dealing with 20 different vendors, they do it all in one place at the lowest possible cost, executed in minutes. That sounds exceptional. Uh, and one of the reasons why is, and this is just purely my personal experience, when I worked for the PR agency, uh, we had to do a media buy and our media buyer was not, was not available for some reason. And it was a small like print, like trade publication buy. So no one else wanted to do it because media buying is, if you're not experienced with it, it's complicated yeah. and it's its own language. Totally. And so I was, I, I basically volunteered because that was sort of my, that was the niche I found at my old firm. It's like, give me the stuff that no one else wants to do, and I'll try and figure out how to turn it into gold. And you make yourself indispensable when you can That's do that. That's right. Exactly. And so I go, all right, I'll figure this out. So I called all these trade journals. They were quoting me. They're like, well, if you do one at this rate, you, you know, you could get six at this rate, and we'll throw in three on the back. And I'm going, what the hell is he even talking about? But I figured it out. It It's laborious. And it's challenging. And you're dealing with people who love to negotiate. Oh, yeah. And that ain't my bag. Like, I got good at it, but 
man, I I hated negotiating at the time. So the fact that you are streamlining this and not forcing people to learn a whole separate language, I think is a great niche. That's the, I think that's the key in the before digital advertising and programmatic advertising specifically came out. And that's, you know, for those of you that are paying attention here, those are the, the squares and rectangles you see on ESPN in the morning when you log in uh-huh. or whatever your favorite website is to read news on. So when we, we buy those banner ads, those squares and tiles, we buy them programmatically, which means instead of having to call, you know, 10,000 different publishers <laughs> yeah. and ask them to buy a space on their website, we can buy it all instantaneously without nice. talking to anyone. And that's critical because you can't, oh, yeah. for a local business owner, they, they don't have time to deal with that kind of negotiation no, or heavy lifting. All. Is there a geofencing aspect to this then too? There is. We can really narrow down to as small as this conference room. Uh, to <laughs> Might be a limited audience for your ad. But <laughs> that's right. But we can, yeah, we can geofence and target people while they're at Starbucks or... You can even do cool things where, for example, over uh, over 420, yeah. we just just to sort of get an idea of what would what the user base looks like because there isn't any data out there for this today. Huh. Uh, we tracked every user ID or unique ID. These are mobile device IDs mm-hmm. that went to Civic Center Park on that date. Wow! So now we have a unique audience of people: 120,000 devices that went to that park on 420 that are clearly advocates for the cannabis business in Colorado. So it's kind of a one way to apply that geofencing. Yeah, that's interesting. Are you guys doing uh, work with the cannabis industry? We do a little bit of work with the cannabis industry. It's a tiny percentage of what we do, maybe 1% or less. Right. They but, show up with the envelope of cash to... Exactly. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> like the banking rules with that are so weird because I talked to someone else who does some advertising and marketing for that industry. And he said, yeah, I, I show up, they give me an envelope with, you know, twenties and fives and hundreds and stuff in it. And I'm like, this feels almost archaic. It's disappointing how, uh, how hard it is for them to operate, yeah. which is part of the reason we have supported it is kind of in a, as advocates for business owners, essentially, no matter what they do, uh, as long we, as it's legal. It's, sure. Exactly. And it is legal here. Yeah. Right. So we, we, we feel like, it's, it was a good move to support it. It's been a good PR thing, but at the same time, it's a tiny per core of what we do. Our real 99% plus is running with furniture stores and car dealerships, gotcha. and dry cleaners and places like that. I'm interested in your take on something just because this was in the news recently. And if you don't want to talk about this in great depth, we don't have to. That's fine. But it was the, uh, it was the folks in charge of digital sales and the advertising package for the Denver Post. Okay. And they're in a lawsuit with each other now. I, I, I read about that. Yeah. And given that you kind of came out of that world, I'm curious how you walk the line between doing things ethically like, okay, we work for this company and then we're going to leave and start our own firm, which sure. largely is going to be a competitor. You know, How do you stay out of that sort of litigious environment and, and make sure you're doing everything on the level? I think that's a great question, especially for those that are listening that are considering starting their own business that might be analogous to what they are currently doing for a corporate group. And that's natural, too, if you think about it. It's like I work in this industry. I know this industry, but I think I can do it better. Yeah. How do I how do I make that switch? How do I get out and, you know, maintain my credibility there, but do it ethically where I'm not actively just sort of stealing the business model and stealing the the clients of my previous employer? So that. The way that we started, first of all, Shelby had already left 
the digital first media or the Denver post, mm-hmm. if you will. And she'd been gone for probably six months. We had just had our second kid and she was just being a stay at home mom essentially. Yeah. And then I left, John was still at digital first. And when I left, I left and started consulting. I really didn't start a parallel business as much as I was just trying to find other things that might be out there and learn. We did start ad selling as a name at that point. Sure. I spent six months doing just consulting. And then during that time, John left, he joined up with me. We did some consulting together, but most importantly, and to re- to remain on the up and up with our previous employers, hoping that maybe one day they would be a customer. <laughs> sure. Right. We, we really just started testing different uh, technology platforms that helped us ultimately execute this business. So we spent another six months testing products, testing with mm. different clients that were not competitive with our previous employer. And then finally, by the end of that first year, which put us over a year in some cases for Shelby, certainly uh, a year out from our previous jobs, we really started to scale. So we, we created a lot of space between our when we left and we really started to scale the business up. And yeah. then most importantly, even still pretty true today, we've never went and intentionally went after their clients, yeah. whether it be direct advertisers or they also work with other media companies. We've never went directly after any of their clients because there are so many different opportunities out there yeah. that why would we do that and even invite any reason for criticism? I, I think that's wise. Yeah. It, it's a it's, they could have avoided it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> they could have avoided even any appearance. Like assuming it is up on the up and up and you right. know, this is, this is being, uh, I, I certainly want to be deferential to the legal process. Everyone deserves the benefit of the doubt, but even the appearance of impropriety Man, that can wreck your reputation. And in a business like this, I mean, it's certainly in what I do, I don't have any patented technology. All I have is my brain, my right. ambition, and my reputation. And so keeping those things intact, I, what else have I got? I think it's the most important thing. It has been for us. My, my reputation in the industries that we work in, TV, radio, newspaper predominantly, mm-hmm. those that has been critical. And if we'd have soiled that on day one, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. I uh, know. Certainly I wouldn't be right. here. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that, that I'm struck by, and this is always encouraging when I talk to business owners who have this philosophy as well, this space, very competitive. I mean, there are any number of platforms, any number of agencies that you can go with, Totally, uh, but your stance that there's enough business out there for everyone. I agree with that 100%. When I meet other people who do what I do and they go, Oh, well, we're competitors now. It's like, Oh, come on, guy. Like, it, 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 did you see the movie The Warriors? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I can't believe you've seen that movie. I sure. love that movie. That's one of my favorite <laughs> movies. Uh, but it's like at the beginning when Cyrus is like, and we're fighting for what? Our turf, our right. little piece of turf. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like the whole city, the whole world can be ours. You just got to go out and find it. You just got to hustle. You got to be creative and you don't need to stomp someone down to get there. No, definitely not. We've been successful without that. And there really is again, 27 million small (laughs) bits, medium sized businesses (laughs) spending money on advertising. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an ocean. If anything, I'd be happy to be a small fish in that ocean. Totally. I'm not in the business of empire building either. I don't care. Like there's, there's enough to where we can all have some, like that's, 
and that's a really good philosophy. There's there's a lot out there. You just got to go out and find it. And it should happen organically. I think if you're stepping on people to get there, you're 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 losing sight of what the real objective is. I think as being an entrepreneur today, your real goal should be to create value that doesn't currently exist in whatever it is that you do. Yeah. So for us, it's it's bringing that that really highly technical product down to that local marketer's level and making it inexpensive for them to leverage and easy to leverage. Nice. So it's it's the simplicity and the cost reduction and the technology that we believe differentiates us from everyone else. And almost in some respects kind of makes us not so much a competitor as is as it would be a technology platform for them to use. Hmm. You know, I'm going to throw another uh, a movie quote out at you. And it's funny. It's it's going to be counterintuitive to, to what I'm saying. You remember in The Social Network? Yeah. When uh, he meets Sean Parker, played by Justin Timberlake. And Justin Timberlake's like, look, you never see a guy with a photo of himself holding 14 trout. Right? <laughs> he's, he's holding, you know, the giant 200-pound marlin. That's right. What's interesting about your business is you guys are holding 14 trout. That's right. And that is the... I mean, that is what makes you successful. So what I'm curious about is if you're targeting small to medium-sized businesses, you guys aren't out there looking for the great white whale. Not really. Um, so does that, how many different clients do you guys typically have at any one time? Thousands. 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 Is that challenging client relations-wise? Not how we reach them today. Okay. So the, that's... The secret is a couple points, I guess, data points. First is in the last 12 month, months, we've ran almost 20,000 different local marketing campaigns. Okay. So it's a lot. Yeah. We only have a team of 25, so we have to be very strategic, I guess you might say, about how we touch those people. <laughs> yeah, the, I would say so. <laughs> the only way that we're able to scale like that today is we put our platform in the hands of what I kind of call sales channels or partners. And these partners are newspapers, radio stations, TV stations, agencies, or just kind of non-traditional companies that nobody's ever heard of, but they touch a lot of small business owners. Mm -hmm. And they use this platform. Our products are white-labeled, so they don't technically know who we are, which is fine. Oh, interesting. From our perspective, we're kind of like behind the curtain, so to speak. And then those companies take the products out to their customers and they provide the customer service. They provide the interaction with that client. They talk to them probably every week. And on our side, we just make it, we support the technology, make sure the products deliver correctly. The performance is good. And that, you know, ultimately the clients are getting some ROI. Okay. So our job is very operational in nature and very technical in nature. Okay. So it's not, it's not heavy on the uh, the old school sort of madman style, you know, going out to drinks and golf. <laughs> I mean, I, sometimes I wish that were the case, but yeah. No. <laughs> uh, what's funny though is that side of the business is exhausting in its own way. Um, the I, entertainment, I ugh. always being out. You know, people were like, and when I go and talk to college students about this realm, whether it's advertising or PR or anything where it's sort of client facing um, or ostensibly client facing. I say, look, it's not what Samantha did on Sex and the City. A lot of it is ditch digging. I mean, yeah. so much of it is down in the trenches. And when you say operationally, you hear a company like AdSellerant, you go, wow, that sounds really fun, really cool. And it is, but not in the way you're probably picturing. Yeah, it's totally right. I, w I mean, with two kids, a four and a two-year-old, I'm kind of glad that it doesn't require me to be playing golf every weekend and being yeah. out for drinks and dinners every night. It's nice that it's very 
just normal day to day hard work. <laughs> and that's, that's really what it is. I mean, but it's the people that work here. I think, you know, you hire people that like to be behind a computer. You know, yeah. if, they, if they enjoy working on machine and kind of programming and things like that, they're going to be a good fit. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. And a quick digression because I read this a while ago before I had kids, but when you don't have kids, you're always looking forward to the weekend. Totally. You know, you go, uh, the job, it's a grind. I got to go to work. I got to get up. I got to do this. When you have kids, the work is almost the easy part. <laughs> it is. Especially with young kids because mine are two and a half and 11 months. Yours are four and two. Yep. And we talked about it. Mine are 20 months apart. Yours are 19 months apart. That's no joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're running at like a pace most single people without kids can't imagine no. from 6.30 in the morning or earlier until 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah. And, and then you get to take a break. <laughs> and then you're on you're on all day. All day. So when you come to the office, it's almost like you're like, oh, God, this is the easy part, uh, which is can be. insane if you don't have kids. It can be. So um, something else I wanted to ask you about, because you're dealing primarily with, you said, TV, radio, and print, right? Mm-hmm. And... You can read any number of think pieces over the last five to ten years talking about the erosion of advertising revenue in those forums. For sure. And how has that manifested for you all in terms of your business? And what is your reaction to people just saying that type of advertising is dead? That's that's an interesting point. In terms of how it's manifest, I've certainly read a ton about it because I came from newspapers. The manifestation of that is obviously just a, a product of digital advertising changing an industry. Mm-hmm. So Google kind of out of nowhere emerging, wrecking anything to do with directory, printed directory businesses, eroding a lot of the classified verticals for newspapers, you know, so on and so forth. Facebook obviously emerging and then taking another major piece of market share. I think the, I think the digital advertising pie 62% of that is Google and Facebook, just, just to kind of get that stat out there. <laughs> so those companies came in and, and really wreaked some major havoc, specifically in newspaper, now falling a little bit into radio, not as bad with TV yet. Uh, but the, the, the fact is the advertising follows the eyeballs, and it's been a benefit in some respects for us because – Part of our real mission for those companies is to create new revenue streams mm. that they have never had access to in the past. Right. And that new revenue helps them ultimately reach what we kind of describe as a crossover point. Meaning if you're root losing, you know, to use really basic numbers, let's say you're losing a hundred thousand dollars a month in print advertising and we can create a new revenue stream in digital that's equal to what you're losing, then at least on a top line basis, they can start to level out and really find a sustainable way to run their companies. Mm. Cause at the end of the day, I don't think anybody who's listening would want to, would want newspapers specifically to not be in business. Their job is to hold your government officials accountable. Their job is to kind of keep your, keep your communities sort of in check to make sure that, you know, journalism really is helping keep everything in balance. So right. we all root for him, I think. I well, yeah. I mean, um, you know, there's there's a certain uh, call it political ideology that maybe doesn't root for them. 
Sure. But, uh, you know, that's, that's an entirely separate conversation. And anyone who's listened to this show for any length of time has heard me talk about the way Craigslist totally gutted the newspaper industry because I don't think – when I was a kid and I'd look at the, the newspaper, you know, mm-hmm. I'd want to get to sports, obviously, and maybe comics and the entertainment section and stuff. The classified section was always enormous. And I'm like, huge. who wants this? <laughs> like, what? Like, this is so boring. As a kid, I didn't get it. But I go, oh, wait a minute. This section where people are buying ads 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks at a time is supporting everything else in this newspaper. And I think one of the things that you read is that the newspaper industry hasn't figured out how to make digital advertising replace the monolith that was classified advertising. Is it fair to characterize it that way, or are we moving there? You know, now, I think it's an interesting question. Now the newspapers, the monolith is essentially gone. You know, what's what's left of it? Some legals. Legals is still a pretty strong category for them. Oh, sure, yeah. They still have some classified business. A lot of it's migrated online. The real sort of monolith today is probably preprint advertising. That's where I think the stats are something like, you know, 10% of their revenue, but 30% of their profits come from. Mm. So it's a major, very important part of their business. They have solved for the classified problem by just remaining in business. Now the, <laughs> right. the challenge is how do they, how do they continue to contribute the way they have in the past? And create a new sustainable business model mm. because circulation continues to decline, readership continues to decline. The ads still work. I mean, I think that's probably critical for people to understand. It's just now it's a little more surgical in how you execute it. Right. Whereas before it was like, of course, you just need an ad in there every week, and if you do that, you'll be fine. Right. Now it's probably around sales and things that are important to your business. So I, I think they've solved the classified problem from a, a cost and expense management perspective, mm. but they're they're still in the precipice of destruction because there's a lot of other things that are coming after them. I mean, there's right. so many other companies that are out there essentially to steal their cheese and they're constantly defending their battleground. Like how do they keep it from the, the competitors from taking more money? Right. And what what's funny and what's paradoxical about that is, you know, circulation continues to decline, but a good friend of mine is John Wenzel who writes for the Denver Post. He, okay. He's a general assignment reporter, does a lot in the entertainment space. He's been on this show before. And he wrote about me and this show like two years ago. But when I interviewed him, he said, it's not that people are not reading newspapers or newspaper articles. He said, more people are reading the Denver Post now than ever have. True. But the problem is they're reading it for free now. Because so much of the content is now for free online that there's more eyeballs than ever on it, but the monetization is not the same. Like the calculus is different. So what you're saying about it being more surgical, I think is really apt. And it's interesting, the consumption habits, it's, it is important to kind of understand and point them out. I, I think about my own, if I pull up my phone here and I just look at the news alerts that have popped up in the last, since we started talking, I've had something from Fox, Wall Street, CNN, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, <laughs> you know, the Denver Post, and all these different sources are popping up headlines. And it's all content that I've asked to be pushed to the front of my screen. Yeah. Now, whoever's headline is the best, essentially, <laughs> I'm likely to click on and read that story. They're all covering the same stories. Yeah. So those headlines bring me in. I read from that source that day. I may not visit the Denver Post for two weeks, depending on 
yeah, like denverpost.com. Yeah. That's right. Certainly. Like, I mean, people aren't going to, to like the pages themselves nearly as much as they used to. Yeah. They don't go there to get the information. The information comes to them. They choose whether yeah. or not they're going to read it. So it's kind of fractional consumption. Well, it's weird. I heard Facebook referred to as almost like the, uh, the Costco of the internet. Right. <laughs> I can see that. Where like everything just <laughs> comes straight to you. Yes. And it, it's like a conveyor belt. I mean, Twitter is the same way. Yep. Um, you've, you've curated this feed where it's like, uh, yeah, I'm interested in that today. This one, move on, move on. And you're, you're scrolling down. So they're all there. Yep. But whether or not you choose to click on them is something else. Uh, whereas before it was told to you what you were going to read. Now you've opted into the things that you want to opt into. And it's an inversion of the formula, which is great if you're a consumer, but there are, I mean, there are consequences to that as well. I think the biggest, now the publisher is, it's beholden to the publisher to solve that challenge because it's all about the consumer today. Before, in some respects, they could sort of rely on, you know, the integrity of journalism right. and the story. And it has to be, it's about the story and the content and the journalism. Now it's, that's still important because the consumer still wants a good coverage of whatever the subject is, mm -hmm. but the subjects drive a lot of that consumption. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, you know, everybody's covering the same stories half the time. That's part of the problem. <laughs> you know, you can get 10 stories on the exact same subject every single minute of every day. No, that's true. Um, and what, I don't know. I think about this a lot because I love record stores and I love the weird people who work in record stores mm -hmm. because they, they know so much about everything where you can say, I like this and they go, okay, if you like this, this is unrelated, but I think you'll like this too. Right. And you know, there's, there's a, a thread in there that you may not see, but because I've been around for so long that you'll see. Yep. And so what you're talking about is like a strong editor who would put together a newspaper and be like, Okay, we're not just going to feed you a never-ending stream of stuff that we think you'll like. Right. And that's, I mean, people, there, there's a fallacy that I believe that people know themselves well. I don't think people know themselves well at all. And that's why uh, a platform like Pandora is so frustrating to me. Because <laughs> it gives me a never-ending stream of things that it knows I already like. Sure. And as someone who's curious, I go, okay, yes, I know that I like this. I already know that I like this. I, I want to be pushed. Right. And... If we're just getting a never-ending stream of content that whoever it is is trying to tailor towards us specifically, right. we're never going to get out of our bubbles. And that leads to any number of problems, uh, some of which we've talked about, some we haven't, such as political polarization, those of us in our silos. It's crazy how bad that is now. <laughs> and it's – I don't know. that Sometimes I I know I'm getting old when I start longing for anything from the old days. Because life is immeasurably better now than it probably ever has been. For sure. But there are certain aspects of the old model that I do long for a little bit. It's weird. You know, you think about Pandora and all these other different similar content companies. Mm -hmm. And they're using sophisticated algorithms to help, one, understand what you like and then try to make recommendations. On the news side, just keeping with that thread for a second, I will compliment like Fox, their app which is on my phone. Are you talking and about like Fox News National or Fox, Fox Local? Fox News National. Okay. And they they have all the same headlines that everybody else has, mm -hmm. but when you get into your your the UI of your phone, there's a few places you can get their content and they'll they'll give you the story that probably originally brought you in. 
but they'll bring you five other options that no one else is covering, at least that you know of, nice. that are specific to what you like. So I'm, I'm kind of a geeky science technology, like interest person. And whenever I click on that political story that might get me started, they'll feed me five stories about NASA or something. <laughs> and I'm going, I can't get enough of that. And I'll sit there and just read over and over, like every article they give me. Uh, so I, it's like, you can kind of, you can complain about the Pandora thing. Like you said, that life is technically not better than it ever has been. You think about Fox or think about any news app that's giving you content that you're interested in. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm done reading about political stuff after five minutes of catching up in the morning. I want to read something else. Yeah. You need, if nothing else, a palate cleanser. Right. Because <laughs> I mean, it can, it can be overwhelming. Um, and to a certain extent, it always has been, but. Uh, given our current reality, I would say it's more overwhelming than it probably ever has been. Uh, it is. You can you can you can overwhelm yourself. You you kind of you're voluntarily overwhelming right. yourself, yeah. though, right? You're flagellating yourself <laughs> just a little bit yeah. over. It. But okay, so something I was struck by was you saying that they've they've solved for the classified issue. What different directions can digital marketing go? Where where are we headed? And where do you guys see yourself fitting in as a part of that? In terms of media, where it's heading is just more sophisticated, more targeted, more specific marketing that's less intrusive but still drives a good ROI for the business owner. A good example of that is something that if you came from traditional media was was back in the day called uh, advertorial. It is now called native advertising. That's the cool digital name for it. Yeah. But native advertising is... I've written advertorials too, by the way, for clients. (laughs) I remember when they were called that. That's too funny. Well, now they have a better, less, you know, cheap, I guess, sounding name, (laughs) native advertising. Yeah. You know, digital is always bringing everything that was old back and calling it something new. And that's, that's a good example, though, for the publisher where... Using content and bringing in content that's relevant, that's quality still, but still accomplishes an advertising objective. Yeah. That's one potential way of doing that. It gets by ad blockers. It's considered to be from a survey of like 5,000 consumers to be the least intrusive and most interesting advertising. Mm. So you, you, you think about where it's going for publishers. That's the kind of execution they have to get smarter about. A place where before they had you know, church and state almost between journalism and advertising. Yeah. And now those two things are coming together and they're not as separated. For us, we have native advertising. We have a network of 1,200 websites and a creative engine essentially that dynamically changes the ads to fit and look like the content of whatever website they're going to land on or whatever mobile app or tablet or whatever the situation may be. Mm-hmm. But I think the future for us is really – product or platform agnostic because, you know, Facebook will do something new. We need to be ready for it. Google's going to do something new. We have to be ready for it. And since they have so much market share, we are trying to build around them, if you will. So the challenge with, you know, you can buy a Facebook ad right now on your phone if you're a business owner and you have a page. Yeah. Very easy. Spend $10 in two seconds, no problem. <laughs> right. Whether or not it works is a whole other question. Same thing on Google. You can spend money fast on Google as well, just as easily all from your phone. But the, the, the problem with it is, is they're making advertising decisions that they're not even sure will work for them. 
they're spending money that's valuable to them that they're not even sure they'll get a return on their investment. So that's where we've decided to kind of fill up a space is to say it shouldn't be so complicated. It shouldn't be so nebulous of whether or not it's working. And it should be something that instead of them being an expert at that, in addition to the 20 other things they have to be experts at, why don't, why don't we have our solution be the expert for them, mm. make it even easier, and also help them prove out that it's working? That's it, where we're building. Okay. That makes good sense. And what's funny is anytime something is like too easy, you yeah. got to question how effective it is. Totally. I mean, it's like, hey, you can spend 10 bucks and reach this many people. It's like, yeah, but okay, what, like, what are they going to do with that info? That's right. So yeah, be wary of the quick fix, uh, with anything, you know, in terms of real estate, getting your car fixed, um, buying a Facebook ad. Uh, I mean, it's, it's full on buyer beware. It it really is. And those companies, I applaud them for making something that can be complicated easier, but that I don't think that they understand that business owner's real goal. And it's, you know, it's to sell a product or service. Yeah. And I, I think they, they, they struggle. Facebook is a good example where, you know, before it's about five years ago, they did this four years ago, they did this. You used to be able to post something on your Facebook page and whoever liked your Facebook page would see that post. Yeah. Now when you post on your Facebook page, unless you pay more, <laughs> only about 5% of the people that like your page will actually see your post. That sucks. Yeah, it stinks. And those yeah. companies spent a lot of money before that change to get people to like their page so they could advertise towards them. <laughs> right. And now they have to pay again. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's all a kind of a struggle, I think, for companies like Facebook. They're trying to do the, what's best for the consumer, but at the same time, that oftentimes hurts the, the people that pay for their team and their company and their platform. Right. And, else. and I think your read of it is a little bit more charitable. Uh, Probably. <laughs> then try to be nice about that. Then, then others might have of that problem. Yeah. Uh, how frightened should people be um, on a cultural level of how much of their info is available to folks like yourself? Um, because, I mean, you say it's getting more and more targeted. You know, and granted, if you've expressed something that you like, right, uh, you should probably expect to be marketed to based on that like. But... How frightened should people be of that? I think that I like it as a consumer because I'm a very busy person. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to receive an ad, it might as well be something that uh, is relevant to me. For example, I was signing my my daughter up for soccer. And I went to the company's website a few times. And a few days later, I see their ads everywhere that I go. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, it reminded me, I need to go fill out that application so I don't miss out and then she won't be able to play soccer. You know, so for me, that was, that's valuable. Uh, I think that for the average consumer, they probably, a lot of them don't find as much value in that. They might be intimidated by the amount of information. Mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of information is potentially, potentially dangerous, I guess you might say. I mean, we can, we can look up your mobile ID in our application, and I can tell you everywhere you've been, really, for the how last, you, like, 90 days. How do you know what my mobile ID is? <laughs> There's an app you can download that will tell you what your, your mobile ID is. Neat. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. And then tied to your mobile ID, we're able to pretty much tell you where you live at, uh, where you work at, if you work in a different building, <laughs> what your favorite places are to go, you know, pretty much anything you can imagine about your location. Wow. 
And then beyond that, everything that you do online is essentially tracked by someone. Hmm. It's social media. That's called volunteer data in our space. Right. You're voluntarily telling us you like something. Pete Holmes has a joke about that. Uh, and it's really good. He said, I think Facebook is actually uh, a secret creation of the government. Just to, to track us, it's like, uh, address? Sure. Why not? Uh, you want uh, photos of me and everyone I know? Let me go ahead and tag those for you. <laughs> right. Known accomplices? Yeah. Everybody I know. Yeah. Where did uh, Where did you take this photo? Well, let me just type that in for you. I'll just yeah. I'll put yeah, a tag exactly. on it. And it's exactly. weird. like they don't need to keep tabs on us because we're volunteering to do it ourselves, which it's is true. so strange. It's very strange, and it's it's natural now. I think what's interesting as I was talking to a uh, a teenager, I'll just say this this way about their social media footprint and effectively the point that you're making. And I said, do you realize that everything you're, you're doing on here is, is telling anyone forever where you've been, what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, yeah, of course. And we said, does, does that bother you at all? And they said, no, that's how it always has been. And I think that's that's the reality. It's the older you are, the less comfortable you are with it. The yeah. younger you are, the more likely you just don't care. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just changing norms and social mores. And exactly. I mean, what can you say? I I read a piece recently about I'm in I'm in this this generation that is sort of between Gen X okay. and millennials. They, they call them like Xennials or something. Or, okay, I haven't heard of that yet. Um, I've also heard them, heard us referred to as the Oregon Trail generation. Okay. Because like we would go to the computer lab and play Oregon Trail. Like going to the computer lab. I, I definitely was on that list. <laughs> explain that to to uh, a young person. Right. And it's like we used to go to the computer lab one day a week for like an hour. And that's how many computers we had. But the the thing that was most striking to me is folks who are are my age or around my age. We grew up analog. Uh, we had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. It's very true. And so, I mean, Facebook came about, I'm, I think, the exact same age as Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. And so he would, like, when I watched The Social Network, I'm like, he was in college doing the exact same thing that I was. Yep. Now, granted, I wasn't creating Facebook or anything, but, I mean, only one of us could, I suppose. <laughs> You'll, you'll be able to regret that the rest of your life. Yeah. Or, you know, I'll just go on not worrying about it because <laughs> uh, that's worked out pretty well so far. <laughs> but it was weird. Like, uh, I had a friend who was on Facebook, like, when it was in colleges only, and he jumped on, and I go, why are you on this? He goes, well, you get to connect with people in your college. And I go, yeah, you know how I do that? By going to the college, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, I, I just I exist in the real world. I don't need a, an additional platform to do this. But now it's integrated into everything that we do. I can't imagine not having it a part of my life. I think that's true. When I was in college as well, there that's when we're probably close to the same age and all that stuff was emerging. And I had friends that had Facebook pages. And now, you know, however many years later, you get those little updates in your feed that says, yeah. you know, six years ago, this happened. Well, a lot of my buddies were on there and I had the same perspective. Why do you need this? It seems like an extra thing to do yeah. or a waste of time. And now they're reposting pictures from when we were in college because Facebook's telling them about, you know, reminding them. And I think to myself, geez, I wish I would have done that. <laughs> Man, I wish I would have saved those pictures. Occasionally I will take old scanned in photos from college and right. now put them on Facebook. There you go. So I'm like retroactively doing it, <laughs> which is insane as I'm describing it now. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, 
Anyway, so okay, what's uh, what's next for Ed Sullivan? Let's say you guys are as successful as you possibly can be. Sure, you you, you have success that meets or exceeds all of the goals that you have set for yourself. What will the company look like? We imagine in the next three years, starting kind of with how we touch customers. Today we have, as you said, how do you support 18,000 campaigns? We do it through those channel partnerships. In the future, we'll have a a version of this product or solution that's, as I think about it, I kind of look at it as how – you know, TurboTax affected the accounting industry. Mm-hmm. You know, when before TurboTax, if you wanted to do your taxes, you were either going to fire a paper form or you're going to hire an accountant and they're going to take care of it for you. And likely if you didn't do that, you're probably not filing your taxes. <laughs> right. So TurboTax came on, comes onto the scene. Now anybody can be a somewhat sophisticated filer of their taxes. Same thing with something like E-Trade. E-Trade comes on the scene and now instead of going to a stockbroker to buy that Apple stock that you're really excited about or whatever the situation is, you can just create an account, throw a few thousand dollars in there and buy whatever you want to buy, become your own day trader. And I think Expedia did the same thing to travel agents mm-hmm. where they come on and now why would you, unless it's a really sophisticated trip like a safari in Africa, right. why do you need a travel agent? So we believe that there is a similar disruption opportunity in digital advertising for the small business owner. Mm. And our system today is a backbone that automation and creation that we've been talking about will be introduced in more of a TurboTax type execution. It's kind of the future of our um, software application suite. And then once that starts to scale, I think our future looks a little bit more like uh, in a very ideal world, like how GoDaddy became, went from nothing to a household name. It was that one Super Bowl ad, and literally the next day their website goes down by the number of people going <laughs> right. to their website. And they, now if you're a business owner, it's one of the first places you think of as an entrepreneur, I need to register a URL. I better go to GoDaddy. So we, we believe that the future of our business will be somewhat more similar to that as being kind of the turbo tax execution for local digital advertising. Wow. And then I think from our team's perspective, we'll always be here. We'll always be in Colorado. We'll always be, you know, hopefully in a similar sort of ping pong table, puppies running around wrestling with each other, yeah. you know, environment uh, of, of geeks and nerds that like to work on computers. <laughs> well, you walk in, it's a great vibe in here. And as someone who uh, who gets annoyed by overused business jargon, right. I appreciate you only using the word disruption once. <laughs> And, and only when it was really important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kept, I'm like, I hope he doesn't say disrupt. If he says disrupt more than once. <laughs> well, I, I don't like that. I don't use that stuff anyway because most people don't speak that way. You know, so how do you understand things that way? Well, yeah. And, you know, if, if you're over reliant on that type of jargon, my, my hackles immediately go up. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be there there. Well, how much longer do we have? Because we could get out of the box and... Oh, Jesus. You know. Let's see if we can get another bite of the apple <laughs> as, <laughs> as we run it up the flagpole. <laughs> God. Uh, well, anyway, Brock, this was uh, this was an enormous thrill. This is the time in the show when we do plugs. Where can people find more about you? Find more about AdCellerant. Plug anything you want. The floor is yours. Check us out at www.adcellerant.com. That's A-D-C-E-L-L-E-R-A-N-T.com. Anything you'd want to know about our company and our team, origin story, the whole nine yards can be found on our website. 
And we'd love to talk to you if you're looking for some help with digital advertising. Fantastic. Well, this was a real pleasure, Brock. I'd like to give a shout to Daryl Proctor as well for hooking us up. That guy, i got to buy him a bottle of wine. He is just throwing me great guest after great guest. Cool. Um, and he's a cool guy. Daryl's been great. Yeah, as are you. And uh, continued success to you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we will bring episode 138 to a close of the John of All Trades podcast. Thanks to Brock Berry and the good folks over at Accelerant. I had a good time hanging out at their office, chatting with them. Terrific vibe, terrific folks, providing a valuable and tremendous service for small businesses. Check them out on the web. Go to the John of All Trades website, J-O-N-of-all-trades.us. All the links will be in the companion blog piece, along with every episode I've ever done. There's more than 140 of them. Dig in. Find some stuff you're interested in. And if you like it, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, and hit that subscribe button. Get brand new episodes fed right to you. You don't have to do any work. The sponsor of the John of All Trades podcast is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees will help you do it. Whether you're building a website, creating a social media campaign, or yes, buying some advertising. Sorry about that, Brockberry. But I'm going to plug 4Degrees because they've been with me from the beginning. They have provided all the tech support that I need. They have helped me build this podcast into what it is. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. And as long as you're clicking around, get on the social media. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. Brand new episode coming next week. It is the 4th of July spectacular. I have an outstanding guest lined up. One I am super thrilled to bring you, so make sure you stay up to date with the John of All Trades podcast. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. We will see you back here next week, and until then, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.